Chris Bocher is a Twitter influencer, an online fitness coach, the co-founder of BrotherToBrotherU.com, and a 10 times Ironman. He was formerly a physical therapist, but decided to make a career switch in his mid-30s to become an entrepreneur and build his own personal brand. He has since grown his Twitter account to over 50,000 followers and is one of the largest names in the online fitness space. In this episode, Chris and I talk about the slippery slope of trying endurance training in grad school to eventually completing over 10 Ironmans, how endurance training builds mental toughness and how it teaches you a lot about yourself, as well as taking risks with entrepreneurship by using the internet. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey, morning, brother. How's it going? Doing pretty well. I appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, my pleasure. I, uh, you and I connected a couple months ago and uh, uh, really enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to continuing to kind of dive into some things this morning. Likewise, dude, your story, um, from my perspective, is is very inspiring. And you're one of the people that inspired me to keep going on Twitter, like after the first couple of weeks when it's uh, when it's a bit rough, like nobody's engaging with your stuff. You feel like you don't know what you're doing. And you're like, dude, just keep putting in the reps. And that really resonated with me. So thank you for that. Um, would you want to give a quick intro? Um, who are you? What do you do? Sure. Yeah, man. Uh, so I'll, I try to keep this as concise as I can. Uh, just, you know, I'm from Midwest, uh, three younger brothers, big sports family. Uh, we're just involved in, you know, just about everything growing up. Um, ended up going to uh, undergrad to a school where I was, I played a little bit of college basketball, ran some track there. Uh, really went there because I wanted to continue my collegiate sports career, not as concerned about the academics, never really knew exactly what I was trying to accomplish with it, but was uh, interested in athletics, interested in in the body. So decided to go the physical therapy route and, uh, you know, was, I, I was fairly successful with school. So it never was something, I mean, I had to put work into it, but um, it was something that even if I, you know, put 80% of the work in, I was able to continue to kind of move forward with it. And so I ended up going to graduate school um, as I was starting graduate school, got into uh, transitioned into some Ironman racing. Uh, a buddy of mine kind of convinced me after our uh, senior year to buy bikes. So then uh, one thing led to another and um, got into Ironman, raced Ironman pretty heavily for about seven or eight years while I was going through PT school. Um, that kind of served as a I would say as my identity for a while and probably distracted me away from some of the frustrations I was having with school and healthcare system and things that just didn't really ever make sense to me. Um, just in, I would say the general path of the way that society tells us to kind of like flow through life uh, just never really added up, but had that distraction to keep me, uh, you know, keep my purpose and keep my focus. And then as I entered um, the workforce, I continued to race for three or four more years um, and then got married, you know, met my wife and decided it was time to kind of hang up the Ironman stuff for a bit and uh, thought that was a good, a good idea because it was taking a lot of my time and energy away. 
And uh, unfortunately, that just left like a big gaping hole in my life and uh, realized that the kind of the the nine to five grind and, you know, had a lot of student debt to deal with. And just a lot of things kind of came, you know, full circle for me at that point that I had to start dealing with, uh, you know, the frustrations, as I mentioned, of healthcare and how many patients we were being asked to see and just it not feeling like it was ever about health uh, just felt a lot more like a a puppy mill, so to speak, um, of just kind of like pumping through patients and uh, only being able to give a percentage of what I had. Uh, and so then, you know, kind of really, I would say I, I became numb for a few years, went ahead and from there, um, we had our first child, I uh, was trying to be, you know, a good, a good new dad and a present father, but I certainly felt like I was falling short a lot because of everything else that was kind of on my mind and the frustrations I was dealing with. And uh, for me, COVID, COVID changed everything. COVID gave me margin to finally take some time to kind of deal with some things and figure out what I, you know, what I really wanted out of life. And I began to question things more and more, um, kind of dove into financial markets, dove into the healthcare system, and even like nutrition and, and things that were being told is healthy versus unhealthy and realized a lot of that stuff didn't really make sense either. And uh, so uh Back in January of this year, uh, almost lost my job uh, because uh, I, I wouldn't. I chose to not make a healthcare decision. Let's just put it that way. And uh, so, as a result, um, you know, was able to get a religious exemption, continued for a few more months, and uh, then uh, May came around. May came around, and um, I had been active with my brother. We started a podcast back in the the previous October. And that kind of really built built our self-belief up, uh, just allowed us to network with like-minded people, uh, felt like we weren't crazy anymore, if that makes any sense. And uh, mm -hmm. then from there, uh, yeah, I ended up getting, ended up losing my job uh, beginning of June and made a decision at that point that I was going to go all in. I was done with traditional healthcare and have been pouring into Twitter ever since, um, trying to really focus on helping men build community, helping men take back control of their health. And uh, that's what I've been up to the last five months. And it's been, you know, complete uh, life-changing experience for me. Uh, a lot of ups and downs, but I've met some absolutely amazing people and never felt more uh, on purpose in my whole life. So I uh, hope that wasn't too, too long and lengthy for you, but uh, that's kind of me in a nutshell right now. No, I think that was awesome. And I think every part of that journey was so necessary to explain, to understand how you got to this point. And it's fascinating to hear how like every single stage ties into who you are now. Like if you never did those at first Ironman with your friend, if you never went and got that first bike, like maybe you wouldn't have been doing this on Twitter because it's such a big part of your Twitter identity is these Ironman. So it's so interesting how it seems like such a slippery slope with these races. I mean, I've experienced this. I I signed up for my first half marathon, which is nothing compared to an Ironman for anybody who doesn't know um, this past October. But I I completed the, the half marathon and it was such a great feeling. And then after that, like you said, like I felt this hole, like, I, like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? And so then I'm like, I have to sign up for another one. So it's like, this slippery slope, like it becomes part of our identity, like you said. And I think that, I think that's such a big thing for you and I, because we were athletes for like our whole lives. And so having that outlet is so necessary. Um, like post-college, 
I don't know. I can't be a guy who just like played sports his whole life. And now I just don't do anything. Like I need that something to keep going. And I know you're the same way. Um, and it'll be interesting to see like how this slippery slope keeps going for me because like, I'm definitely interested in the Ironman route. I'm not there yet, but I could definitely see it someday. Um, but dude, that's awesome. It's, it's such an inspiring story. And so I wanted to bring up this point. I feel like, and I could be wrong here, but I feel like your impact on people's health overall might be greater now on social media than it was when you were a physical therapist. Do you think that's true? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, because I think now generally, uh, you know, there, there's people reaching out on a pretty consistent basis saying like, I've applied this or I've, I've tried that and this is how I responded to it. And, and like, it's been extremely rewarding for me because that was one of the things that I think was kind of lacking in my previous career was I was seeing patients that were really sick. I mean, to the point where it didn't matter what I was doing, it was going to be extremely difficult for me to, to make an impact on them. And they, they really just weren't in the mental space to even want to anymore. Um, and, and so, and, and even in the clinic um, where I was the first few years of my career, most of those people are there because their doctor told them to be, they're not hundred percent bought into what they're doing. Um, and what I've found on Twitter is when people are, when you're actively engaging with people's content and you're, you, you feel like they're getting value from what you're putting out and then they, they, they apply that themselves. I think there's a more buy-in with that, you know, when versus if a doctor just kind of spoon feeds you information or a physical therapist spoon feeds you information, you know, you're in a situation where you, you don't really have responsibility. And I think that's part of what I'm trying to really get across is helping people to find that personal responsibility to take back, uh, you know, take back control of their health. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that's missing right now in the traditional healthcare system is it's, we've just like handed the keys over to our health and helping people understand that, yes, there's maybe, there's a time and a place where there's going to be certain things that you need to go to the doctor. You need to go to the emergency room for, but the vast majority of it, you can, you can empower yourself. Like the knowledge is out there. Like there's, there's knowledge everywhere. Now you have to like kind of sift through it and figure out what's, you know, what's garbage and what's not, but it's available to you. And there's, to me, there's nothing wrong with trying things. And if there's very little downside risk to trying, you know, uh, uh, let's just use an example of like magnesium. Like I, I, I believe strongly in like magnesium before sleep because it's, it's helped me and there's like zero risk associated with trying it. So why not like try it yourself? If you struggle to sleep, if it works great, if it doesn't work, it doesn't, there's no, there's really no downside risk to it. So like using your own life as kind of an individual case study, so to speak, with like low mm -hmm. risk things and seeing how your body responds. And if you feel better and you have, you know, more energy, then like, obviously your body is responding to that in a positive way. And I don't think it's like a one size fits all approach, but, um, you know, in general, I think there's a lot of these things that we can do on a day-to-day -day basis to just, yeah, take back control of our health and um, limit our dependency on a system that's epically failing as far as I'm concerned. I think you're exactly right about that. And I love the the mindset about like, there's really no downside to just trying these things. And it's so relatable. I literally, before we hopped on this call, I typed up my weekly newsletter and it was titled, um, treat your life like a science experiment. 
And that came from an episode I did a couple of days ago with uh, a guy named Noah Zender, a super bright guy. And um, I just love that mindset of like experiment on yourself, like question things, hypothesize, test them, see what the result is. Like, did this work? Did waking up at this time work for me? No, like I felt low energy. Okay, let's change our hypothesis. Let's adjust. Like, it's so easy to become so so rigid in our daily routines and stuff and not look to upgrade them or change. But I feel like constantly iterating and constantly looking to upgrade, like that, that's what's going to lead you to success and taking control of your own health. Like that, that is such a big point. And we learned about this like yesterday in my psychology class, um, not specifically like physical therapy, but more general therapy. Um, therapy only works if the person who's going to therapy wants to be there. If somebody tells them, like a doctor, or if somebody like their friend or wife or family tells them to go to therapy, odds are it's not going to work. You have to want to do it yourself. And it's just like fitness. You have to want to do the work yourself. So I guess my follow-up question with that would be like, how can somebody flip that switch? How can somebody go from not caring about their health to wanting to take control over it? I think my short answer would be just take a single action. You know, I think most people in our gut and, you know, I, yeah, I think there's a spiritual component to it as well. Like we're, we're constantly being told what that one thing is that we should be doing. And we oftentimes just, we ignore it for days or weeks or years. And the longer we do that, the more self-doubt kind of creeps in. So it's like the easiest thing that I've found is when you, when you feel that like one tug is just like go for it and just do it. Mm -hmm. And the the reality is when you actually take that step, um, th there's not going to be a negative impact on you. You know, as far as you know, we think about what are people going to think of me? Well, people aren't thinking about you. People don't care about you. Like that sounds harsh, but the reality is we're all we're all pretty selfish, and we all have so much going on in our lives that if you do something and you like epically fail at it, people aren't going to think about it for more than five seconds. They're going to move on and they're going to forget about it. So. Um, but I, I know for me, it was just like, we talked, you're talking about comfort and just things that, you know, we're, we're, we're continuing to kind of like go through the motions of life. And, mm -hmm. um, I think it really just comes down to taking a single actionable step and that actionable step is usually extremely rewarding. And then it reveals another step, you know, it's, it's really, yes. it's really easy. And I'll kind of use you know, from, from my journey, like there was a lot of times where I woke up in the morning when I, when I took this jump into this kind of new, new version of life, so to speak online, where I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis, but I knew I could like do something, whether that was mm -hmm. reach out to somebody, have, you know, network, do some journaling, you know, write a thread. Like there was always something I could do. It didn't have to be the perfect action. It just needed to be some kind of action. And over time, I think it allows us to fine tune exactly the road that we're supposed to be taking so that the next step becomes a lot clearer, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be perfect right away. It just has to be, you know, something that you feel is going to move you in the right direction. Exactly. And you can't see like 10 steps in the future. You can't go from zero to running a triathlon or doing an Ironman. Like you have to build on the fundamentals and then you get there, but you can only do it taking one step at a time. And that's something that, I always try to remind myself because I see like these huge accounts or huge podcasts on Twitter. And it's like, Oh, like these people are like so much better than me. I'll never be there. But 
all you can do is just put in the one thing, like one task a day and just get better at it every single day. And then you'll look back and be like, Oh my God, like I've come so, so far. I'm sure for you, like being like, if you look a year back right now, like you could never have imagined being in the place you are right now. And so like you can, I think it's a Steve Jobs quote. It's like, you can only connect the dots going backwards. You can't connect them going forwards. You just have to have faith and trust that what you're doing is leading to a better version of yourself. So I feel like you're a great example of that. And for me, like somebody who's just starting off on this, like it's very inspiring. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. You're exactly right. I mean, back in June, you know, I maybe had these like small goals of what I was trying to accomplish over the the next few months. But I mean, I've pivoted a few times already in terms of even even a bit in my message and, you know, what I was trying to accomplish, uh, you know, the I'm really, really enjoying, you know, working with with guys. And, you know, I talk about like killing the dad bod, like that's not necessarily what was on my radar six months ago. Mm-hmm. But now this is this is where I feel like I belong. And this is where I feel like I can be the most successful. And as you kind of you touched on earlier um, you know, it gets really easy to compare yourself to others and to kind of get caught up in, especially on social media, like follower counts and all that kind of stuff. But even just like in general, like, I think it's true for people in their normal lives of comparing themselves to the, what is their, what is their neighbor's car? What is their neighbor's house? Like all these things that we try to, instead of looking in the mirror and like competing against that person, we try to like compete against everybody else. And I think that's where a lot of the, the stress and anxiety and frustrations of, of life creeping is because we're, we're more focused on kind of that extrinsic factor instead of that internal uh, side of things. And um, the, I think also the reality is if we keep showing up every day, every day you show up, somebody else stops showing up. So, you know, your competition thins every single day. And it's like, the longer you stick at it, the the easier it's going to be for you to succeed because you're just competing against less and less people. You're picking more and more skills up along the way. And, um, you know, that's, there's just, I mean, I I knew I'll just kind of give one brief example. I came into this knowing like nothing about, sales, nothing about writing. Felt like I was like pretty terrible at both of them, to be honest with you. But I just like stayed at it. And I wouldn't say that I'm I'm good at it. I would say I'm probably average at it, but I was terrible before. So it's like, you know, I'm I'm much better now than what I was, you know, four or five months ago. And I know if I stick at it again for another four or five months, you know, I'm going to continue to make strides there. So uh, we try to, you know, put barriers on ourselves based off the current skill set, and we we forget that just by putting in the time and energy, you know, those skill sets are going to continue to improve, and um, yeah, you just become more and more equipped to be successful in the long run. One hundred percent, and it's all about just like putting in those daily reps. Like the volume over time is what creates skill, and so like. I think it's an Alex Hormozzi quote. He's like, the people who can commit to the boring daily actions for the longest period of time with no expectations will win in the long run because most people aren't willing to put in the daily work. So I kind of wanted to pigeonhole off that or piggyback off that. Like, what does a typical daily schedule look like for you right now? Like, are you training? Are you focusing more so on Twitter? Uh, so right now, I would say I'm I'm more I'm more on the business side. Um, I actually, you know, I, I did the Goggins challenge a couple months ago, and that was sort of the the pinnacle for me. Uh, in I guess that would have been end of August, 
And so I've been, I've been still working out on a, you know, regular basis here, but I, I don't necessarily have a, a date on the calendar right now. That's what I'm still trying to figure out. Um, my wife is due in January and uh, with our third child. So uh, really I'm going to, I'm going to probably start ramping things up a little bit here the next couple months, just to get my fitness level where I want it to be. And then kind of see how things go the first couple months of the year probably into maybe March or April. Um, I am kicking around the idea of racing again next year. Uh, it's been a few years. I, I would love to, I'd love to kind of get back into it and have my family be able to, you know, experience, you know, seeing me race. I think that's really important as dads. We talked about, you know, as athletes, when we leave school, we should be continuing to compete. And I think that's true for, for just fathers and really parents in general is continuing to compete in something. Um, I think it gives us, gives us feedback, allows us to have purpose with our, our bodies and our minds. Um, and then just, you know, demonstrate that to our kids. So it's on the radar, uh, haven't, haven't a hundred percent committed to it, but, um, it's something I'm hoping I can, I can do next year. Um, I'm really, there's a lot that I've learned since I, I, uh, stopped racing a, a handful of years ago, especially on the nutrition side and the recovery side. So I'm, I'm sort of curious to, add those pieces into, you know, what I had done previously. And, you know, even though I'm a few years older, kind of see, see what the old guy still has in the tank, I guess. <laughs> I think you still got it. I mean, you've got the experience, you know what it is. And and now that you're older, you have more knowledge about like diet, nutrition, recovery, how to take care of yourself um, versus I'm sure like when you're starting off in college, like you have no idea what to do at first. Um, but also side note, congrats on the third kid. That's awesome. Um, and I'm sure like them growing up, seeing you do these Ironmans, like that is going to be inspiring for them to see. Um, and even if you decide not to do it anymore, like you have that all on your social media, they can go look at it. Um, they'll be like, damn, my dad is badass. Um, <laughs> but what was this Goggins challenge that you did? Uh, yeah, so I got, uh, my brother decided he was going to do it. Um, and he's like, he's like, you want to do it with me? And um so it was something it's, it's a, it's four miles every four hours for 48 okay. hours. So you end up, yeah, running, yeah. I've heard of this. Yeah. So I, um, I said, I said kind of a lofty goal for myself and I, I, I decided I was going to try to run all, um, all 12 legs under 30 minutes was my goal. So trying to hold seven thirty pace through the whole thing. And it, uh, it, I, I pulled it off. It was, it was a struggle. Um, I, I will say that, getting up that, that I started it at four, was it 4 a.m.? Yeah. started at 4 a.m. Uh, on a Friday morning and finished it at, at midnight on uh, Saturday night and, and getting up, uh, I guess it would be late Friday night into Saturday morning. That was, that was rough. Um, but, yeah. uh, and you know, run, running in the dark with a headlamp on is not something I've, I've done a whole lot of in my life. And, uh, it's it, uh it's a little spooky out there i'm not gonna lie that at like 12 12 a.m a couple nights and you know you just uh you're never really sure what you're gonna stumble upon we we live in a pretty rural area so uh i was hoping i wasn't gonna stumble upon some kind of a, a black bear or something like that <laughs> oh my gosh and and did you like sleep during these 48 hours like just in intervals or what yeah i i i mean i was able to get you know an hour and a half two hours at a time um probably two or three times, something like that is what I, what I did. And then after that, I, I crashed for, uh, crashed for a couple of days, let the body recover. But yeah, you know, what was really surprising to me was, um, the, it was definitely more mentally taxing than it was physically, believe it or mm -hmm. not. I, I, once, once you got through the first like six or seven legs of it, 
it was almost like the body knew what to expect was coming next. And yeah. uh, it, it became the, I would say, you know, run seven through run 12 felt almost identical, which was surprising to me because I thought that they would be consistently getting harder and harder. Um, so I, I don't want to do it again. Uh, I had my <laughs> fill once, um, but you know, it, it would be interesting to kind of see how, how long you could hold on to that in terms of, the, the physical side of it, um, you know, if you can, if you can keep yourself mentally together, you know, how long you'd be able to continue to do that before you'd start to see the the physical drop off. That's badass, bro. Like me and my, one of my best friends and I had talked about doing this like over winter break, once we're on break from school. And I'm like, bro, let's just do the four for 48 challenge. And then I started to think about it. I'm like, wait, that's running 48 miles in two days like every four out like oh my gosh like actually thinking about it versus just saying it that's crazy but if you're saying that it's more mentally taxing than physically I feel like I'm up for the challenge because I mean four miles it's not extremely tough but like every four hours like just mentally knowing you got to put yourself through that I don't think I'd be holding a 730 pace I think I'd probably be like a 930 10 pace but hey if I got it done like I'd feel I'd feel pretty happy about it. Yeah. And I, I mean, the good thing about it is um, you get to feel, you know, and you get a chance. And I always told myself I can do anything for 30 minutes. So if you just kind of like approach each one individually and just say, I can do anything for 30 minutes. Um, it, it kind of allowed me to kind of distract myself away from how much I have ahead of me is just, let's get through this leg, knock it out. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, enjoy some recovery, get some fuel, maybe a little bit of sleep. And then, you know, you kind of started all over, but not thinking so much about how many legs you have left is just attacking yeah. that one at a time. Exactly. It's like, you can't see, you can't envision 10 steps in the future. Like we were talking about earlier, you just got to take it one step at a time. It's kind of symbolic. Um, but also it just speaks to your mental toughness. So, I mean, you're a guy that does these type of challenges has done multiple Ironmans. Like where does that mental toughness come from? And do you think that's something that anybody is capable of or is that something like you're born with oh that's a good question i i think it can be built there's no question about it uh i think unfortunately you know we live in a world that's it's very comfortable i talk about that a lot but i, I think comfort and cheap dopamine are kind of at the heart of what keeps people from building that mental toughness and uh i think it it does take you know that discipline to be able to commit to something. And so what, what I often recommend to people is like, put something on the calendar that like scares the hell out of you, you know, like you have to, mm -hmm. you have to commit to something and it, you know, Ironman's Ironman's nice because it's not cheap either. So you've got to make a, a pretty sizable commitment to sign up for the race. And it's like, once you're committed to that, uh, it makes it a lot easier to kind of like buy into the training. Otherwise, you know, you're going to show up on race day and you're just going to absolutely, you know, suffer and the likelihood of you finishing not committing to it for, you know, six months to a year is going to be virtually impossible. So um, I, I like even like somebody who's, you know, just on the couch, never running their life, like just signing up for a 5k, maybe having other people that have done 5ks before sign up with you. And mm -hmm. then they can kind of like drag you along, you know, you create that accountability, um, some somewhat of a social commitment, you know, you telling coworkers, telling family what you're going to do. And, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for 
you know, sometimes they'll, they'll say, there's no way you're going to finish that. And you get this little motivation out of them telling you you can't do something. Um, and at least that's personally how, you know, I, I took it is uh, when people told me I was crazy and I was out of my mind, it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'll show them, so to speak. And yeah, so I think those are some of the things that I think it's all about starting. Going back to what we talked about earlier is like, you've got to take an actionable step. And an actionable step may be just signing up for something that really is out of your comfort zone. And then from there, you can start building that mental toughness. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and like rip on on lifting, but I do believe that, you know, lifting is is very short and I'm a big believer in strength training. But when it comes to like building mental toughness, like doing something for hours and hours and hours when you don't want to do it is very different than doing something for, you know, 15 or 20 seconds. So yes. like, that's why I, I certainly, when it comes to the mental side of things, I, I do believe endurance sports are kind of in a, a league of their own. Um, I, I saw the analogy the other day. The only thing I'd probably put it up there with is like, uh, you know, mixed martial arts, you know, the idea of like being mentally tough enough to consistently like step into, you know, f fighting another opponent. Like, I think that that takes some special wiring as well. Uh, maybe a little bit more craziness even than, than, uh, <laughs> uh, than endurance sports does. But uh, yeah. So kind of getting back to what you said, it's like, I think that, I think it can be built, um, but it, it does, it's just going to take consistency. And, you know, I, I was, I ran track in, um, ran track in high school, ran track in college. So it's kind of always been part of my life as far as the, um, the endurance sports and, and I've been successful at it too. So I think it's easier to do things that are hard when you're good at it than it is like, that's why like you going back to the Ironman stuff too. Like those guys that are out there on the course for like the full 17 hours, it's like, I give those guys so much credit because they're working just as hard as what the pro level athletes are, but they're out there grueling through the elements, like almost twice as long, you know? And so when, when you can like, to me, that's mental toughness is, you know, your, your body maybe genetically isn't in a position where you can go run you know, six or seven minute miles off the bike, like some of these crazy guys can, but like, they're, they're still out there. And, uh, and that's why I think Ironman is great is because it gives everybody the opportunity to, to build themselves and to kind of prove, prove themselves wrong and prove other people wrong that like their, their belief structure can be completely turned on its head. And, um, I think it can be, you know, you, you mentioned the idea of like getting down with a half marathon and now you're looking to see what's next. Like it, it takes the limiters off of us and we, be, we become limitless when we realize that there are things that we never thought were possible that we were able to accomplish. It's about so much more than just the race. Like that's what I never realized before getting into running. Like I was always this person, like who always was just focused on like the short sprints. Like when I did track, I ran like the hundred and 200 football, like you're running maybe 50 yards, like maybe, maybe you break off like an 80 yard run, but like, that's the max. It's like 10 seconds of hard running. And I always just said, like, I'm not a runner. Like I don't have a runner's body, but that was just like, that was complete mental weakness. And so when I started to run and started to cultivate this mental toughness of like, yeah, I'm going to be running for an hour straight on this, like seven mile long run on a Sunday, like it just fundamentally changes who you are as a person. Once you realize you can do that, you also realize like, yeah, I can like start writing on Twitter or I could start writing on, I could start a podcast. Like it's just the limiting beliefs we put on ourselves. And 
that's what endurance sports is. It, it's so interesting to me about those because I think they teach you so much about yourself. Um, and I love the, I love the analogy. You said like put something on the calendar that scares you. And that's something that I'm really trying to consistently do because I noticed after that half marathon, all I was signed up for was a 5k, like with my family and some friends for Thanksgiving. And like, I was not very motivated to train for that. Cause it's like, yeah, I can run a 5k. It's not really a big deal. And so like, I'm not really training that hard. I'm kind of just going through the motions. And I saw a David Goggins video on his Instagram. And he was like, you have to have a goal that scares you. If a goal is not scaring you, it's not pushing you out of your comfort zone to reach that limit. So I think that's what's so fascinating about these endurance sports. It's like, you're just training your mind to realize you can do more than you are. And I, I think the, the point you made about like just signing up for a race, like, and committing yourself to it like through money or through social pressure is so important like one quick example is like i made my family sign up for this 5k with me for thanksgiving and my my mom like has never been super into running and now every single day like she's sending me her nike run club app she's like i just did the speed run like have you done it yet and like she's looking forward to it every day and it's like signing up for these races seems insignificant but it, it fundamentally changes who you are as a person. It's it's such a cool thing. Um, and that's why I, I'm trying to keep doing endurance sports for as long as I can imagine, for sure. Yeah, I think it's something that it, it's really should be part of everybody's life in one way or another. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, full distance Ironman, but like being able to use use running, use endurance sports to build that mental toughness. And I, I don't know for or how it was for you, but like, there's also, it also forces you to kind of deal with yourself and be alone. Yes. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's important too. Um, you know, you don't really have anybody else you can lean on. And so you learn to you learn to trust yourself. You learn to believe in yourself and, and work through all of those negative thoughts that tend to kind of come into our head throughout the day. Um, you know, obviously there's a, there's certainly a, a chemical component to it with a lot of the neurotransmitters that are released through endurance sports um, to get some of that, that positive um, response uh, in terms of mood and things like that. But I think just the solitude of, of the sport is, is a, a beautiful thing too. And uh, yes. just forces, you know, going back to, to men and, and isolation and things like that, like it does force us to deal with ourselves. And I think that's really critical we can't really mask it when we're out there, you know, suffering on the pavement uh, all by ourselves. We just have to deal with it and and grow from that experience. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that's been more important to me than anything else with this endurance training is learning to be alone. Like, especially I like to run in the morning, like pretty early and like nobody's out there and I don't listen to music. So I'm kind of just there with my own thoughts. And I got that from Nick Bear. Um, he's like that time in the morning when you're just running and it's like dark out and there's nobody there and it's just you and your own thoughts. Like you learn so much from those times. Like, I guess as a kid, like you're so socially programmed through like the first 18, 20 years of your life. And you never really find out who you are until you go off on your own. And so like putting yourself in that situation, like 30 minutes to an hour every day, where you're by yourself with your own thoughts, like you really learn a lot about who you are. Because when you're so surrounded by other people, like we do act differently when we're around other people. We 
we aren't able to introspect as much because we're engaged in social conversation. And so those long runs in the morning, like alone, like those, those are so valuable to me doing the mental gymnastics, thinking about like, Oh, like, what am I going to do today? What did I do yesterday? Like, where am I going in life? Like you can have those thoughts every single day when you're on these runs. And that's such an underrated part of endurance sports, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it it even gets down to like a morning routine and like just being Mm -hmm. able to, you you were touched on like the social conditioning that kind of goes on. And, and I would even argue that as we get older, it's still there, you know, college is really just a social conditioning experiment as far as I'm concerned. And that's you know, interesting. You, you get into yeah. the, you get into the workforce, you get into, you know, you just, you're never really forced to deal with yourself or taught, you know, how to deal with yourself. And so like, the, to me, the only way to do that is to just spend, spend more time alone. You have some good friends that, you know, they'll, they do a lot of like, like ISO, I don't know what you would call it, like just individual like camping where they just go out by themselves mm-hmm. in nature and just like have that that time. You know, I, I like the idea of journaling or running or meditation, breath work, that type of stuff. Like I think it's just like so important to understand our own thoughts and our own values and then be able to believe in those things because otherwise we're just influenced by everybody else's ideas. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing like uh, without going off on too much of a soapbox, but like the value structure of society has changed so much because we don't really have values. We just kind of do what everybody else does and we don't know why we're doing it, but it's like, well, I don't have enough belief in myself to push back. So I'm just going to go with what everybody else does. And eventually that just becomes the norm. So um, yeah, I think there's just so much to just spending time alone, pushing ourselves, getting out of that that comfort level and um, just being able to figure out what's really important to us. Yeah, I feel like we never can truly find out who we really are unless we put ourselves in those situations where like we're forced to just think about it. Um, I, I had a, like a lot of thoughts at the start of college when I came here about like, I felt sometimes like I didn't even have a personality. I was like, who am I? Like, I've just been this person that wants to be perceived in a certain way, like wants to be perceived as a normal guy or like an athlete or like a cool football player. But like, who actually are you under all that social conditioning? And the individual camping stuff is so interesting to me. Um, It reminds me about this concept, like Matthew McConaughey talks about in his book, in his autobiography, Green Lights, he would go on these things called walkabouts or he would go like by himself for 20 like 25 days and nobody knew who he was and he would just go there and be with himself and like think for 20 days. And I tried that this summer um, only for 12 days, but I did it while I was backpacking in Europe and my friend and I decided to split up for a couple of weeks because we wanted to go off on our own because we wanted to just find out who we, who we really were. And I was in Southern Spain in this, in a city called Sevilla and I spent like 12 days alone, like nobody even really spoke English. And I was just like there with my own thoughts. In those 12 days, I learned more about myself than I had in the last 20 years of my life. And so like, I'm trying to have have experiences like that every year or so. Like I'm already envisioning like spring after I run this marathon, I'm going to go take like five days in a cabin in the woods by myself and just think like, I think it's so necessary. Um, Bill Gates would do it all the time, apparently, 
Carl Jung would do it all the time. Um, I think like a lot of these like really great thinkers, they realize the power in spending time alone. Cause I think you're able to find out more about yourself than you ever would if you just go through the daily motions in society. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think there's, and, and I'll, I ask you this, I guarantee you've probably, you probably learned more during those whatever 12 or 14 days than you did in an entire year of college. Oh, totally, totally. Because I mean, I'm actually introspecting on myself and my own life and like figuring out who I am rather than just like answering a math problem or something, you know? Yeah. And I, those are the things that I just, I think are so lacking, especially for young adults is like how powerful that type of experience would be for someone versus going again, I'm not going to sit here and just keep dunking on college, but I just think there's yeah. so much, there's so many more ways that we could figure out who we are in a, in a more just beneficial way that rounds us out as an individual and teaches us like what's important to us. What do we really want to accomplish? Uh, you know, what's, I just think that there's a, a lot of other directions that we could go with it, especially for those individuals that like, they don't know what they want, you know, they have no idea. Right. So being right. able to like, we've, we've kind of created this like stigma of, uh, I, I want to take a year off and like figure out who I am. Like, no, I think for a lot of people, that's like the best thing they could do is just like mm -hmm. take some time to figure it out. And if the answer is still like, go back to college fine. That's, there's nothing wrong with that, but at least you've like identified that and you're at peace with that versus continuing to spin your wheels, having no idea what direction you want to go. I think people look down upon things like that about like taking time to find yourself because it threatens their worldview. It threatens their decisions, like, because they went a typical route and like just kind of went through the motions and somebody else is operating outside that framework. So it's like, it makes them question their own decisions potentially. Um, mm -hmm. And so we talked a lot about like how younger people maybe need to try to find out who they are. So you have like, you have your most famous, your most popular tweet was 35 things that you wish you could have told your 18 year old self um, at 35 years old. So I was wondering like out of those 35 things, is there one particular that you really remember that resonates with you? Oh man, you put me on the spot here. Um, I got I some written that, down. If you... No, you're, you're good. I, I would say, I, I would definitely say trying to, I think questioning things and, and understanding that it's okay to question things. I'm not, that's probably not word for word the way it was written on there, but just being able to kind of step away from what society tells you is, is, you're supposed to be doing and realizing that it's okay to, to step back from that and do something different. Um, and then I also think just betting on yourself, like that's, that for me has, has been a game changer is, you know, once you have that self-belief is consistently betting on yourself and taking risks. Um, I just, I look at, I look at risk now as opportunity versus I would say even a couple of years ago for the first, you know, 30, 30 years of my life, I basically, saw risk as something that was harmful and that I needed to kind of stay in my lane. You know, that's really what physical therapy probably was, was it was a safe place to land where I knew I could make a reasonable income, have a job. And, you know, it was, it was, it was comfortable. It was worry-free, mm -hmm. but it wasn't purpose. You know, it wasn't what I was being called to for my, during, you know, for my life. And so I, I would say just understanding that calculated risk and that betting on yourself in today's world has 
very little downside, especially at 20 some years old. I mean, like you fall on your face and it's not like you have, it's not like you're losing millions of dollars. You don't have it, you know? So uh, you're, you're not going to, in this country, um, and this, this may not be true everywhere, but in this country, like you're not going to go hungry, you know, like if you, if you fail epically, you're, you're going to be able to, you know, get back up, reset yourself, you know, get back to figuring out who you are again and then start over again. But uh, we, we look at failure as being like, there's, there's nothing gained from that. And in most cases, when you, when you take a, a solid risk and bet on yourself, there's skills being learned, you're increasing your network. Like I even look at this now as like, if today everything, let's say I got, I got kicked off of Twitter today. Like there's no question in my mind now that I have skills to be able to do something very, very similar you know, in a, in a, in a different way, because I've, I've got a network now, like I've got so many great people that I could go to in a heartbeat and be able to figure something out within, you know, a number of weeks to kind of get back on my feet again with it. Um, so I, I think there's just so much to be said for, uh, just taking those consistent risks and betting on yourself and, um, just not feeling like you have to conform to what society is telling you to do. Totally. And that was the one, uh, the one point out of those 35 points that I wrote down and bolded because that was the one that resonated with me the most betting on yourself. So that's very interesting that you say that. And I love the mindset you have about like risk is opportunity. Like the greater, I, in my opinion, more of a risk is not taking a risk in the first place. Like it's more of a risk for me to not start this podcast and not try to like grow on Twitter and network with all these people, because if I don't take these, these quote unquote risks, then I can see what my life will look like if I don't. And it will be a very cookie cutter life, which there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, that's just, I, I want something different. I want something where I have more control of my time and I'm in control of, in, in, in control of the outcomes and I can do what I want. Um, and so I love that perspective because like, I think people see taking these risks like as so scary because I mean, you're fearing things like social approval. You're fearing being embarrassed by like trying to start something. But if you can, if you can not identify with that and you can not care what people are thinking about you, like the downsides are so small, like the risks are so small, but the upside is literally infinite. Like, it is, it is the greatest time in human history to try to become an entrepreneur, especially online. Like it takes zero dollars to start anything. Like I'm doing this podcast for free. The only thing I'm risking is like my maybe like high school friends or people being like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, this is weird. But like, who cares? Right, right? I 100% agree with that. There is, there's zero downside risk with it. And when it comes to, I like to use the analogy of like the internet is, it's a free way to market to the entire planet. And if you have something that people need and you solve a problem, like there's, there's a market for that. And, um, you know, I think one of the questions you sent over is like, yeah, on the health side of things is like, is there too many, are there too many fitness coaches or too many health coaches? And I see it as the exact opposite. I feel like there needs to be 10 times more because if you look at, I mean, we've never been more unhealthy. There's never been more clients out there who need 
someone to help them take back control of their health. And yes. um, I, I'm, I'm a big, like I, I kind of get on my soapbox online a little bit about like even challenging healthcare providers. You know, I, I left the traditional healthcare world and I think that there's so much opportunity for people that, you know, are, are doctors and nurse practitioners and therapists and like, they've got this knowledge, but they're, they're stuck in the box of the system. And it's like, they're only, they only need to like stay in that system because they're of the, you know, being employed and like, they're worried about because losing it's their safe. job. Right. It's it's safe. Safe. right. But like, yeah. they have the same level of knowledge and the same experience as I do. And yeah. if you had, let's say you had a hundred thousand of those people jump out and got online and started actually helping people on a one-on-one -on -one situation, like how much pressure that would put on the system to actually change. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, People don't like to hear this, but I, I definitely am more of the kind of free market system. And it's like, if you create competition for a bad system, it either changes or it dies. So, you know, you look at, if you take all these doctors that build personal brands and are helping people in a more effective way, they're probably enjoying their job a lot more because they're actually able to give people time. They're not having to see 25 patients a day. Like, and you can actually change people's lives in that situation, you know, then that creates more competition for the current system. And uh, that's just like one example of it. But, you know, you look at how much, like how much money, uh, let's just say car dealerships spend to like uh, market towards like a very small number of people, like billboards everywhere, all this stuff. And then you got guys like us who are online and we can talk to basically endless numbers of people for free. And you, yeah, you know, it's just it, it's kind of like mind blowing to think about what you know what the traditional capitalism system looked like versus now what the personal brand side of it can can accomplish. So, yeah, it's it's a wild world for sure. It is, and I, I think it's so exciting for that reason because I think more and more people are starting to realize, like they're starting to question these typical systems, like the typical healthcare system or the typical education system, which we you were talking about earlier, like the traditional college system was built in a time where you had to go to these universities to even have access to like all these books and knowledge. And they were like these hubs for knowledge where people would gather and talk, which I think is great. Like, that's the one thing I really love about being at this school, Northwestern is like, there's so many, there's so many brilliant kids here that it like rubs off on you just being in that environment. But the material we're learning can all be learned online which is so interesting because like whether you know whether you've thought about it or not like you are an educator like online you're educating people on fitness and nutrition and health and you might be having even more of an impact than a university professor who is is teaching a class where like the kids don't even care and they're just in there to get a grade so like i think the internet it, it's the possibilities are endless. And I think we're just starting in terms of this education stuff. And I think the colleges and universities are going to have to catch up because so many more people are going to keep coming on here because they realize they can spread this knowledge and build their own personal brand at the same time. Like, I'm sure, you know, Andrew Huberman, um, like mm -hmm. the Stanford neuroscience professor, like he's educating millions of people around the world about these topics that he's teaching in his neuroscience class at Stanford. Now, I'm sure the neuroscience classes at Stanford are a bit harder and more in-depth than what he's conveying to the public. But like anybody in the world has access to this knowledge from him. And 
even guys like you, like just inspiring people, like it, it's, it's awesome. And I think most people don't realize yet, like that the internet can be used for good versus bad. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I've, I've said the, I've said this before, and I think Huberman is a great example of, you know, YouTube is going to allow the best educators in the world to make, you know, millions of dollars. And as a result, you're going to continue to see the best educators move that move towards that, which I think dilutes the product out further from universities um, and especially universities that are not as interested in education as they are, you know, other things, whether that be, you know, social, uh, you know, mm -hmm. just social type things or, you know, what, what the current thing to be enraged about is. And so it's like, you know, as, as that product gets more and more diluted out, and it continues to go up in price. Um, you know, the, the cost benefit analysis gets pretty easy to, to make a decision as far as like where you should be. Now, there will be certain professions that you still need to have that piece of paper to sit for a board's exam and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, things like business degrees, marketing degrees, sales degrees, like all that type of stuff. Like there's just so much material out there. And there's so many people that have so much real world experience that can teach you that. Versus mm -hmm. guys that have been kind of parked in a chair for 20 years that actually haven't really done the job. And that's, that's really part of my issue too, is there's, I mean, I even go back to physical therapy. Like there were so many people that were teaching me how to be a physical therapist that hadn't actually practiced in the clinic for years. And it's like, yeah. you know, you, you don't even know how a patient is going to respond to this because you haven't had your hands on that patient for how long. And so Things like that always, you know, were kind of a red flag to me, but you're right. I think we're, we're so early, you know, there's just, there's so much potential here. And I don't think it hurts that a guy like Elon Musk, who, you know, he's a very polarizing guy, but he's, he's been very outspoken about even the idea of like needing a college degree to, you know, apply for positions and things like that. So you take him and now he's in charge of a, of a platform that's all about ideas and all about, you know, being able to, to share those ideas freely like that can't hurt free education online and, you know, putting anybody in the world in a position to gain knowledge to just about anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of a Socrates quote. He was like the number one way to influence the masses of people is through education. And if we have the internet, which is accessible to literally everybody on the planet, or maybe not quite yet, but hopefully at some point, everybody will have access to an internet connection everybody can be educated by anybody else and it kind of all ties into like what I want to do with this podcast is just like talk to people who are doing all these different things and are on all these different walks of life and just try to educate people um about what they're doing and how like they can maybe take an unconventional path as well and the college stuff is so fascinating for me to think about like as I'm sitting here in my college dorm room um but like, if I had to go with my current state of mind, if I had to go back graduating high school, I don't think I would have gone to college because I think you can get more value through the internet than through a degree. Um, now I'm already in my junior year and I came here for a sport. So like, it's, it's not so black and white, but, and I think there is a lot of value that I do get out of my classes. Like the professor's a lot of these professors are really smart people surrounded by smart people, but I don't know. It's a trade-off. It's like the amount of money for a degree. Like if you put that money into investing in your own skills online, like through courses, 
through mentorships, through teaching, like through building your own personal brand, I think the the returns would probably be better. I agree. I, I mean, I, I can't sit here and say like, I would change anything for me because I do think that mm-hmm. where I'm at right now was the result of all of the decisions that added up to, you know, where this, this current situation, like all that kind of built the man, so to speak. Right. But there were a lot of frustrations and, and, you know, like talking about student debt and things like that, like they could have easily been avoided. I, but I, you know, at 18 years old where I grew up, those things were not accessible. Um, you know, they're just yes. YouTube really was, I don't even know if YouTube existed yet at that point, but I think now, you know, you and I have an opportunity to, to show people that there are alternative options out there and you don't have to just continue to kind of fall in line with what everybody else is doing. And, um, it makes more sense now than ever to just learn as much as you can for free and actually figure out what interests you before you make a, a real concrete decision. And so like, yes. I probably, I probably rant on college a little bit too much. Um, it's something I'm, I would say I'm kind of passionate about because I am trying to like, I want, I would like to change it. Like, I think there's so much, there's so much, so many possibilities to make it better and to make it less, you know, taxing on the individuals who really want to go in there. Like it never made sense to me for, you know, a doctor to have to take on, you know, two and you know, two two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt to go and serve people. Like I think if I, I kind of feel like doctors in general, if they didn't have to take on that burden, they they would be it'd be a lot easier for them to go into the workforce refreshed and charged up and like ready to actually serve people versus like yes. how do I get out of this debt as quickly as possible? I think they'd end up you know, jumping into specialties and things like that, that they may not even be that interested in, but they know that that pays better. And um, so there's just a a lot of things that I I think life decisions that are made because of debt and student debt that's created. And, uh, you know, it's not so much about eliminating the debt as it is like just finding other ways to educate people, um, whether that's even like physical therapy, like I firmly believe a lot of it could be done in almost an apprenticeship type situation. You know, there's just, there's too much of it that is very structured. And that's just not the way, it's not the way that anybody learns when it comes to like working one-on-one with patients. And so there's just, there's just endless ways to change it. And I think the, the internet allows for that to be, you know, a part of it. Yeah, and I think it's starting. I really do. I have faith that, I mean, through conversations like this, through all these people on the internet, it's just going to spread faster and faster. But it's just about getting those old beliefs and old ways of life to change over. Because, I mean, like taking it from like my parents' generation, for example, um, and they're like mid 50s, like the common thing was like go to college, get a good job, like live by this like preset book. And it made sense at the time, like it was a good trade-off and it still is for a lot of people. Um, But I think now it doesn't have to be that way. There's more options and opportunities out there. And it is scary because it's not conventional. Like when when I try to tell people like what I'm trying to do with this podcast and like I really want to try to make this Twitter stuff a thing before I leave college so that I don't have to get a typical job, like that's my goal. Like they look at me like I have like three heads because they're like, they're like, yeah, we talk about like what we're doing this upcoming summer. And most people here are like, yeah, I'm working in an internship. Like I'm doing investment banking internship, um, getting paid like 20 bucks an hour, going to be working like 70, 80 hours a week. 
And then they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to like rent a van and drive around the U.S. and uh, start a podcast. And they're like, they start laughing at me. But like, I don't care. Like, there's more options out there than the typical route. And I think that's like my main takeaway from this conversation, especially from you, like being somebody who did take that typical route for for many years. And then you realize like, wait, there's there's more options out there. And now it seems like you're feeling more fulfilled, more meaningful every single day as a result of like taking that bold action. Yeah. And just not allowing, you know, I look at college and and it's not that I view it as that that was a, a poor investment. It's not, it was, you know, you call it a sunk investment, whatever you want, because I'm not practicing in a typical, you know, clinic or whatever, but there was experiences that were gained from that. And now, you know, I'm in a position now where it's like, I can kind of write my own story going forward. And yes. I think it's the, the idea of like, it's not, it's, it's too late for me. Like I, I went to college and, you know, now I've just got to, I've got to deal with this, this career that I created. And I just think that that's just a, a limiting belief that you have and mm-hmm. being able to kind of get past those limiting beliefs. And then at that point, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want. Like I'm, I'm convinced of that now yeah. more than ever is, is that there's so much, there's just endless possibilities, regardless of age or, you know, your previous experiences. I think that's a great way to sum it up. Like these limiting beliefs take so much hold over us, but once we break through them, we realize you can do anything in this world. So that's, I think that's a great way to sum it up. Um, So real quick, before, before we hop off, like where can people find you at um, on social media? Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm only on Twitter. Uh, I, I haven't branched off yet. I'm, I'm kind of holding on to dear life. I'm, I'm not all that interested in some of the other platforms at the moment, but I'm at Chris Betcher nine uh, online and uh, that's B O E T T C H E R that, you know, crazy, crazy German uh, heritage here. <laughs> Nobody knows how to spell things uh, phonetically, but um, yeah, but Chris Betcher nine um, uh, we've, we've got a couple of things going on with some men's groups. Uh, if you're looking to connect, you know, with some like-minded guys, you know, taking some action with uh, your health, fitness mindset, uh, a little bit into, you know, finances and relationships as well. And uh, then we also, my brother and I run a program called 90 to life. Uh, so it's a, it's a health kind of transformation, 90 day program, uh, just working, working to build sustainable habits for, for men, uh, helping them to better lead their families and uh, kind of lay that foundation for the rest of their lives. So um, yeah, if you're interested in either one of those two things or uh, looking to, to follow some content, uh, I'd love to have you. Beautiful. And I'll make sure to uh, to link the Twitter account and then uh, that 90 day program down in the show notes, too, uh, in case anybody has trouble with the spelling there. Um, but <laughs> thank you. Thank you for coming on. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, brother. Uh, anytime. Enjoy it. And uh, looking forward to doing it again here soon. Sweet. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. To recap the conversation with Chris, around the six-minute mark, we talked about endurance training and how it's a slippery slope. Around the 12-minute mark, we talked about how people could start to get into shape. Around the 17-minute mark, We talked about the benefits of having a long-term mindset and the benefits of being open to pivoting. Around the 20-minute mark, we talked about Chris's experience trying the David Goggins four miles every four hours for 48 hours challenge. 
around 25 minutes, we talked about building mental toughness and, it, and how endurance sports can change who you are as a person. Around the 32 minute mark, we talked about believing in yourself through endurance training and how it translates to entrepreneurship. Around the 40 minute mark, we talked about things that Chris's 35 year old self would go back and tell his 18 year old self. Around the 45 minute mark, we talked about the risks that come through entrepreneurship and the benefits that come with it as well. Around the 49 minute mark, we talked about online education and we debated if college is really worth it. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who you think might benefit. You can also find me on Twitter for key takeaways from these episodes at JackMoses0. Again, thank you for listening. This has been Jack Moses with the Modern Mentorship Podcast.